I sort of went into writing a book with the assumption of, well, a book is essentially a very long article. And that has actually turned out to be a good mindset for it because I think sometimes with books, you can overthink you know, the structure or all the stuff. At the end of the day, what you're trying to do is educate someone, inform someone, motivate someone. And what you want to do as an author is you want them to start and you want them to go all the way through and finish. And Welcome too many back books- to the Marketing Millennials podcast. Today's guest is my friend, Alan Gannett, the author of The Creative Curve and an entrepreneur who founded TrackMaven, which merged with Skyward to form the number one content marketing platform. Today, we talk about how to write a book. Hope you all enjoy. Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. What's up, Alan? Welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Last this... time we talked, you weren't an engaged man. Now you're an engaged man. I feel like you're like, I feel like you're much more serious now. Like, I feel like I'm talking to an institution. I think I'm much more calm now because, <laughs> because I don't, um, my now fiance is more calm. So I'm more calm. <laughs> Listen, we love that. We love that. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about this topic because people talk about this a lot. And I know you get a lot of questions on this, but how to start a book, where do we start? But I want to go into like, when was the moment you decided you wanted to start a book, write yeah. a book? Yeah, yeah. So for context, I wrote a book called The Creative Curve, came out in 2018 from Penguin. And I'm like semi-secretly working on a new book. You know, it's interesting because I sort of stumbled into the book writing journey process. And it was one of those things where once I was in it, I noticed that there was a lot of sort of norms and rules and customs in how that process worked that were actually pretty understandable. Like you could wrap your head around them, but there's not really any good explanation around. So I spend a lot of time, like whenever people ask, you know, they want to talk about writing a book, like I try and say yes as much as possible because I think it's one of those things where like once you get how it all sort of comes together, I think it feels a lot more approachable. And so for me, you know, I had sort of a unique situation where I'd given a speech about creativity and some of the myths around creativity. And the speech had a really positive reaction, like very, very strong. And I was like, huh, that was, that was interesting. That was, that was, that was weird in a good way. And I was you know, thinking, I was like, Hey, that, that, that could be a cool idea for a book. At the time I was running a MarTech company and every MarTech CEO writes a book. It's, you know, it's this thing that people do. And so I was like, you know, I sort of had known I'd wanted to write a book. I sort of had to write a book on some level. And so I talked to a friend who was also an author I was like, hey, I have this idea for books, sort of, you know, busting the myths around creativity. And he was like, oh, yeah, I think it's a really good idea. And we talked more about it. And he introduced me to his book agent. And his book agent was, and we can talk more about that whole world. His book agent, you know, had said, hey, you know, I love this idea. Let's do it. And so I sort of went from idea to, oh my God, I'm writing a book proposal very, very, very quickly. And so I can break down sort of more about like, what's the role of an agent, all that stuff. But that was how the idea started was it was a speech that I'd given that basically had this very strong sort of in the room reaction and sort of hit me of like, wow, this is a topic that people really resonate with. 
And I wonder if there's a broader book I could be writing about this. I think that's a good way too. Like that's a good way in any content is like find the topic where a lot of people are talking about it and then go write about it. I mean, also you have to have that burning desire and question to answer those questions as well. Otherwise it doesn't come out of your book. Yeah. And and the thing with books that people sort of sometimes don't realize is that you, it's a very long journey. So I started working on the book you know, I think probably the idea was 2015. I started getting more serious about in 2016, sold the book in 2016, sent it to the publisher in 2017, and it came out in 2018. And then I marketed it pretty intensely for two years, and I still market it today. So we're talking about like six years, right? So you better like the topic. And so I really find the topic really fascinating and interesting. But I think that is actually something for a lot of people where you have to be so interested in the topic that A, you're willing to do all the research to write a book about it because it's a lot of work and we can talk about sort of how the actual blocking and tackling of writing. But then you have to also just be prepared for it's a long journey. Books are built over many, many years. It's not just a launch and you're done, but you you have to market that thing for a very long time. Yeah, I'm interested like that whole process. So like you come up with the idea and then what is like the next step? You go find an agent or do you write a book proposal for? Yeah. So it's different for nonfiction fiction. So I'll focus all this on nonfiction, but you're in nonfiction. You, you have a, a book proposal process. So you don't actually have to write the whole book up front with fiction. You have to write the whole book up front. So nonfiction, you have to write a book proposal, which is usually two sample chapters an overview author, bio marketing plan, audience analysis and you know table of contents and it's basically to show a that you know how to write even though there's a lot of people don't write their own books so sometimes they'll have ghostwriters write their proposal which is a whole wild world <laughs> and then it's to show that you have an audience to be able to market so publishers really want people to already have an audience or a platform before they write their book they don't want to build up the audience alongside the book and that's something that I think for a lot of people feels almost like not right. They're like, well, I have a great idea for a book. You know, shouldn't the publisher help me? You know, build an audience, market it, and maybe we can make some conceptual argument for that. But the reality is that that's not how publishers buy books these days. They want to buy books from people who already have an audience, who they know will be able to actually move copies of the book. And so, you know, basically, you have that proposal process. So, how do you go from having an idea to having a you know book deal? Well. In the book world, you essentially need to have an agent. And so agents will send your books to publishers that they have relationships with. And typically to get an agent, you don't necessarily need to have a full proposal done. You might have like a, I did like a one pager, sort of an overview. And then I worked with my agent to actually help craft the proposal. You know, he was my main feedback reader and sort of worked on it over many months and getting it right. And then, you know, that agent, once they feel comfortable with it, they'll go out and send the the proposal to publishers. And so agents typically charge a 15% fee as sort of the market norm. Occasionally you'll see a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but it's pretty much the norm. And that's off all of the revenue from the book in perpetuity. And the thing is, is that a good agent, A, makes a book deal even possible. And so most people in the book world feel like, and I feel like too, 15% is like a super, super happy to pay it because it's sort of a very opaque world. And so if you don't have an agent who has those relationships, who can help you navigate it? It's very, very hard to get your foot in the door. So, what is like the definition of like an audience for them? Like, because for example, like someone could have 
a big tight knit community of like really popular people, but they don't have like 50,000 followers, for example. And then there's like people who have 50 to 100K followers that so it's, us. it's interestingly, it's actually not about social media followers. So publishers actually have sort of a mindset that, you know, followers don't uh, buy books, which is mostly proven true. If you ever look at some of the research, you know, you know, when celebrities tweet about books and all stuff, it doesn't actually move very many copies of books. The things that move books are either niche PR or very, very large PR. So like getting on the Today Show, for example, and then high trust relationships. So people who have large podcasts, right, where you're literally in someone's ears and people who have large newsletters. And so typically publishers are looking for your ability to do ideally multiple of those four things. Can this person get on mainstream television? Can this person get in their deep in their niche? Does this person have a newsletter and or does this person have something like a podcast or a highly watched YouTube vlog? So social media sort of generally, like if you have a lot of Twitter followers, publishers actually have a little bit of an eye roll thing, which again, is one of these truths that people sort of want to fight on some level. They're like, that doesn't really make sense, but it is just the reality of publishers don't value that in the same way they view an email newsletter or podcast or something that has very high trust and engagement, because that's what actually moves copies of books. The other thing is that CEOs of medium to large size companies, business book publishers sort of get that, okay, a CEO has all their customers, they have user conferences, they have all that. That's another form of an audience or a platform that will be used to sell books. Yeah, that's super interesting because I've always wondered like, okay, these people who started, and it makes sense, like they'd rather you have like an owned audience that you, you're you talking to daily that you can move around versus like social media, which is just not owned at all. Yeah, and it's, it's also, you know, James Clear wrote Atomic Habits, you know, New York Times, number one bestseller. You know, he has 400,000 newsletter subscribers. Now I think he has over a million, but when the book came out, I had 400,000 newsletter subscribers. So, you know, those people signed up and read his emails every single week, you know, they're really into it. So, you know, that is, uh, it's just a different thing. That's awesome. Next, I want to go into like the topic of like, like the research phase of it. Like, how did you like start compiling all this research to make sure like your book had like good examples, good proof that this is a good topic? Like, where did you even start looking for that? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I've read a lot of business and sort of narrative nonfiction and pop psychology, which is sort of those three categories are where my my book sits. And, you know, so I had some things I liked and disliked. I, I liked strong narrative, but I really didn't like a lot of these business books. You know, the first chapter sort of describing it and the, all the other chapters are just examples of the same thing over and over again. And I'm always like, what? This is so boring. Or the science is not very rigorous. That's another one that really got to me. I'm just like, why are you butchering the science? And so I wanted to take this approach of like having very strong narrative, but also very strong science. So I started by reading lots and lots of peer-reviewed research on the topic of creativity. And I basically started building this super outline using a tool called Workflowy, which is an outline tool where every bullet on the outline can have an outline underneath it to infinity. So basically what's cool about it is that as you're building out your thoughts, if there's this particular thing that becomes more important than you realize, you can build out a whole ecosystem of outlines under it that further. So it's essentially a form of a knowledge graph. And I find that it's a really powerful and useful tool. So my research process basically is I do a lot of reading. 
I compile things that are interesting, then that usually starts to form some, I see some patterns around what are ideas that are resonating with me. And I start to outline what a sort of book structure could look like. And then I sort of iterate. So, you know, I will, you know, I will go through dozens of versions of outlines because the actual outlining for me is the main sort of writing and researching task. And as I research, as I write, as I add to it, I think, oh, actually that concept doesn't make sense there. I want to move it or get rid of it or whatever. And so it's very, very, very iterative and it takes a minute, but it is, um, it, it for me has led to a process where at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, my, my book and hope, you know, hopefully books eventually will is like has substance to it, but it's still sort of interesting and fun. And so I like to start the, the academic research and then start layering in interviews with not only, you know, interesting people that I can use to tell stories, but also the actual academics who wrote the papers. I find that oftentimes they can add a ton of value above and beyond what I can read in the paper. They can help me contextualize things. I would later have the academics fact check the article, the sections that you know, I cite their research because they want to make sure it's presented accurately and I want to make sure it's presented accurately. So again, just involving a lot of inputs and a lot of sources helps for much better output. Yeah, that, that makes so so much sense. And also, I'm just interested, like, where did you personally learn how to do that process? Like, Because it's not like something you just could pick up right now. Like, if I wanted to do that right now, I would probably have to, like, do some research on how to do that. that yeah, process. great question. I've known I'm an outliner for a while. I used to write a column for Fast Company online and before that for the Next Web back when that was a thing. And so just through doing that, I had learned that I write much better when I separate out my research outline and writing process. So first I sort of gather research, then I outline it into an argument, then I turn the outline into prose by writing it. And so by splitting it up into those three buckets, I found that I did a much better job at all three. And I was able to, when I got to the writing, focus on making the writing engaging and fun and interesting versus also having to think about how am I making this argument? So by splitting it out, I found that I was much better at writing articles. And so I sort of went into writing a book with the assumption of, well, a book is essentially a very long article. And that has actually turned out to be a good mindset for it because I think sometimes with books, you can overthink, you know, the structure, all the stuff. At the end of the day, what you're trying to do is educate someone, inform someone, motivate someone. And what you want to do as an author is you want them to start and you want them to go all the way through and finish. And too many books, I think, are very choppy. And so as a result, you might read the first third and you're like, hey, I kind of got it or I'm bored or whatever. And I viewed it as sort of one long narrative that has to be cohesive as an entire structure. And then obviously each sort of chapter or section within it also has to be a narrative. Each paragraph has to be a narrative. Each subsection has to be a narrative. And so I think a lot about beginnings and endings and a lot of things in life. And with writing, I think it's a very useful framework of how did I begin this? Is it going to catch someone's attention? How did I end this? Is it going to get someone to go on and read to the next page, the next section, the next chapter, whatever? That, that's awesome. And how did like you being a marketer and also like starting a company that was like based on like data and stuff yeah, yeah, like absolutely. that to help you like write this book. Yeah. So I think one of the things that marketers develop a skill for, and hopefully I'm okay at it, is an understanding of how to interrelate with an audience and how to have an impact on an audience. And so I'm a big believer in any creative craft writing, especially so 
that you are writing for an audience. And this is a somewhat controversial point for some people. They sort of say, I'm writing for myself. And I'm like, well, then you might be writing just for yourself, right? Like ultimately, I think the exciting thing about writing is the impact you have on other people. That's the part for me that is fun. That's the same thing that's fun with marketing is that idea of, hey, I can create something that resonates, that creates an emotion, that creates a reaction. That's a very fun you know, just element of the career craft. And so with writing, I had that same sort of understanding, that same sort of view of psychology where it's, okay, I'm not doing this just for myself. I'm doing it to have a positive impact on the audience. And I have to consider the audience in my writing process. And I think that makes for a better, better book. Yeah, I, I totally agree that I, I actually had Anne, your friend on the podcast, yeah. and she had the same exact like view on writing yeah i want to go into like after you like have sent this proposal of like your overview in two chapters and the bio like what happens after that process like what what is the next step once you have the proposal locked basically your agent sends it to publishers somewhere between 10 to 20 usually and then obviously, depending on how much interest there is, you set up meetings with the publishers who are interested in potentially bidding on the book. Usually, if you get a meeting, they're probably going to bid on the book. So it's sort of, at that point, they're three-fourths of the way there is the way to sort of think about it. So you have these meetings where the publishers, they'll bring in folks from marketing publicity and sort of a two-way interview. They're asking you questions about the book. They're seeing how you respond under pressure. You ask them questions about how they market, how they work with authors. What's their editing process like? What is their... What is their go-to-market process? And then what happens is, you know, you basically have an auction and there's different structures of the auctions that depend on how many bidders are there centrally. And you have an auction and people bid various amounts for book advance. And we can explain what an advance is because it's actually not what people think it is, which is interesting. And then you basically pick a bidder and, you know, a lot of times people pick the highest bidder, but not always. Sometimes people pick a lower bidder who they think is going to do a better job or be more fun to collaborate with, sort of so on and so forth. But the interesting thing about advance is book advances are advances against royalties. So it's essentially a non-recourse loan. So they're giving you money that eventually that you have to pay back through selling copies of the books. If you don't sell enough copies to cover the advance, you don't have to owe them money. So it's non-recourse. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that traditionally the advances are not actually paid in advance, which is sort of a funny part of the name, but usually they're they're paid in thirds or quarters. So usually it'd be something like a quarter on signing, a quarter on manuscript delivery, a quarter on publication day, a quarter a year after publication day. So it's a pretty, it's for something named in advance, it's a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, if I was like a business person, I probably would do the same exact thing. Like why? Makes sense, right? Because they're trying to sort of keep you along. They're trying to keep you motivated to sort of market the book, to get the book on time, to do all these things. So it makes sense, but it is one of these, I think people, sometimes they hear these stories of big advances and they think, you know, some celebrity got a huge check and they'll, they'll eventually get a huge check. It's just chopped up into pieces. What is that good? So the proposal is written, it's bid on, it's, you've got your, your person now that you're working with the publisher you're working with you, and you've done read it, writing the book. Like what is the process of like starting to get this book out to market? Like, how long before do you start like pre-sales and all yeah, that good so, stuff? So basically, people usually take between nine and 24 months to write the book after they sell it. So it's quite a slow process. 
Some people throughout that time will work with their editor back and forth. They'll get notes. A lot of times people will actually just write it, send it to the editor, and then the editing starts. And that might be one to three months. Usually what happens is the book is published. This might sound kind of shocking to people, nine to 12, sometimes longer months after the manuscript's delivered. So there's actually, it's a slow process. And in that time, there's that, you know, one to three months of editing and getting it really tight. Then there's basically what's kind of considered production. So copy editing, looking for tiny errors, layout, you know, the books have to be laid out. So if you ever thought about a page of a book, you know, the idea is that sentences don't wrap around the pages usually. That's all very intentional and thoughtful. They have to design what is the fonts for everything. They design the cover of the book. There's, there's a bunch of work that goes in, into that. Around that same time, there's something called a galley, which is an advanced copy of a book that's usually printed on sort of cheap paper. It's like a very cheap paperback copy, basically. Those are printed with the non-copy edited version of the manuscript. And those are starting to be used for the sales people at the publisher to send to book um, buyers and the marketing publicity people to send to what's called long lead PR. So long lead PR is magazines, newspapers, major television, radio shows that get a lot of pitches and they need six to nine months to sort of read and process and go through what are the books they want to cover or what are the books they want to talk about. And usually the pre-order page for a book goes up nine months before publication. But a lot of times there's a data reason why that is in terms of how the publishing systems and dis distributors work, but most authors won't start promoting a pre-order for their book till maybe a month to three months before, because earlier than that, I can start to feel a little, you know, like this is far out. And so a lot of times you'll see, you know, an author will say, Hey, my new book is now on pre-order. And actually, if you like had looked six months earlier, it's already on pre-order with no cover on Amazon, but people don't really look that closely at that. So. That's awesome. I mean, it's just like the typical, like, like if there's a tree in the forest and nobody hears it. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Like, I mean, that's like the whole argument about marketing too. Like a, a product could be up, but you'd never know about it without any marketing. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer, as you know, that, you know, marketing and distribution is one third of the creative process and people who discount it are essentially, I don't understand it because so much of art and creation is about the context and creating something for an audience and the idea that I'm going to create something for myself and never show it to anybody. And it's still art. I, I sort of feel I get, a, I get, a, I get a little punchy about it. So. One thing that I, I know we DM'd about, but like, which I think people just don't know about that is like the feedback loop that you go through when writing a book. Like you have a couple like trusted people. That yeah. You feedback send readers. Yeah. That you send. Yeah. It to, uh, so basically, one of the biggest open secrets in publishing is that the idea of the author as sort of the solo creator is a joke. So in reality, you know, here's what goes into a book usually. You can think of the, of the, the author of the book more as sort of a combination of the writer-director, but there's a lot of other people involved. So one, you have feedback readers who are people usually, you know, they're, you sort of call upon the same people throughout the book who read chapters for you, give you feedback. Ideally, they're representative of your audience. That's really important because when you're in a book, you lose context of, is this interesting? Is this not interesting? Am I losing pace? You, you think everything you're writing is great and you don't have the time to wait a month until you have fresh eyes to reassess it. So feedback readers. Then you, a lot of times, like I've used research assistants. So rather than me saying, okay, I want to find a paper on the how the right hemisphere processes visual signals, right? And spend an hour finding it. 
I'll tell my researchers, hey, I want papers on these seven topics. Find me the best paper. They'll come back. Here's seven papers. That just made me way more efficient, right? And so, and then obviously you have editors who will do, you know, line level editing. They'll do copy editing. They'll restructure stuff. They'll help on narratives. So a lot of people involved in sort of crafting the words. And so, yeah, so it's a, it's surprisingly a very community-driven process, even though at the end of the day, there's one name on the cover. Yeah, I think that's so crazy. I mean, it's just the same concept of like ghostwriting and stuff like that. Like, yeah, and that's you why, you know, ghostwriting, you know, I with like people who get ghostwriters for their books, like I don't judge them too harshly because, you know, I think it's all about, you know, the people like different parts of the craft. I really like the writing of it. There's other people who really like, the conceptual and the thinking work, but they don't like the writing. So, okay, if you're doing the conceptual and the thinking work, like there's a lot of big business authors whose name I won't name, like I'm friends with also their ghost writers. So I know who's writing the actual books. And like, you know, I don't actually really judge them for it because I'm like, well, like the concepts and the craft in the same way that, you know, some screenwriters have a screenwriting partner who actually does most of the actual line level writing, but they do the concept or James Patterson uses ghost writers for his novels where he does the plotting, then he has a team of writers who rotate. And you can tell, I read a lot of James Patterson, you kind of tell when he switches ghost writers uh, who like write out the actual like prose. And so, you know, I try not to be too judgmental about it. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Like how many, like, I mean, there's the process of community and going through that, like only people I think like who know that person's writing style could, that's yeah, how I, I can, feel. I can read a book and tell if it was ghostwritten. Yeah, just it's like one of those things as a writer you pick up on because how people, the tone they use when about how when someone writes themselves, they write in a slightly different tone than when a ghostwriter sort of impersonating you. It's very subtle. And I don't think it's something that causes much distress for readers, but it is sort of, it's like a fun little uh, party trick. I can, you know, read a book and tell you who's ghostwriting. That, that is funny because I think, because I, I like definitely like there's that tone of voice. Like I know, like, for example, like, I know we talk, we were going to talk about LinkedIn, but like, I could definitely tell if like someone else is like posting for someone else. hundred uh, percent. Like, I could definitely, really like mm. yeah. Or like someone's like running their account or someone's doing something. I'm like, you're, you're definitely not running your own yeah. account. That's not your voice. That's not who you are. Like, yeah. I used to have this funny thing on LinkedIn. If people like DM me being like, wait, is this really you replying? I would just like send them a selfie. <laughs> Cause I always, people are like, what? <laughs> That is funny. I mean, that, I mean, that's the best way to like prove your, yourself. I mean, that's, that's like, also why I do a lot of video on LinkedIn. Cause I just think these days authenticity, it's, it's, it can be hard sometimes to wrap your head around as a concept. Right. So. Yeah. The, the last part I want to talk about is kind of like the marketing side of it. Like, so how do you, once you do the pre-orders, I know you like sent your stuff out to PR and they're going to do a PR blast, but then what are some things you did for your book to start marketing it and getting it into the public? I mean, so many things. I mean, I did a ton of press. You know, I did, I tried doing pre-order campaigns. It didn't really work that well. Like, hey, do this and get this gift. I think that works better with like famous people. But, you know, the things that worked really well was, you know, I did events. So I did a book tour and that, you know, generated book sales, but it also just created a lot of like UGC. And so people would post photos at the events and built a lot of awareness. I um you know, got on a lot of sort of very large podcasts and then also some very, very niche podcasts. So things that were like very, very specific. There's a lot of podcasts on creativity. So I did a lot of those, for example, and that really moved books. And then in the sort of otherwise, you know, 
I experimented with paid ads. They don't work like at all. I found email newsletters worked really well. So any newsletters I could get in. So if you know a friend had a newsletter, I would say, hey, would you mind shouting out the book on launch day? That really helped a lot. So yeah, those would be the big things. Yeah, that's, that's crazy how like for books, like you said, like obviously organic social doesn't work that well because it is a big decision unless like that person is consistently posting about you over a long period of time. It's it just, to get, it but. doesn't work. I mean, I've just, I've seen this so consistently. People are like, well, I have all these influencer friends and it doesn't move the needle. That's that's crazy thing. I mean, I know some. I am friends with some people in e-commerce, and like I know that they they work for some celebrity brands and stuff like that. And you would think that they would be selling more than they would with like. The yeah, the thing is, don't with, with books. The issue is that the author, you know, depending on how, let's say for a hardcover book, the author might make two to four dollars a book it's not enough money to afford to be able to advertise. Like the conversion rates don't work out versus obviously you're selling a $50 e-commerce product that's 70% gross margins. You have a lot more dollars to play with. And the other thing people don't realize is that most people just in a year might buy 10 books, you know? So, you know, I think a lot of people listen to your show probably buy a lot more because obviously there are people who sort of are, you know, curious and seek out knowledge. But most people, even who are doing careers who like books, you know, they have time for one or two books a month, maybe, you know, some people even less. So you just, you don't have that many slots that you can fill in someone's sort of annual sort of book list. So that's a good point too. Cause I, I heard, I don't know who I heard on a podcast talking about this, but they were talking about like authors, like every book is still a hard process for them because they're not like creating content that on so frequently, like if you're a YouTuber, you can get better at YouTube because you can create a mil- like a thousand videos in a year. But if you're in a book, you can't write yeah. a thousand books. So like every book's still going to be hard because you don't have that process of doing it. Yeah. And some people, there's some people out there who write a lot of books. Like um, this is Ryan, the guy who wrote The Daily Stoic. Holiday. Yeah. Holiday. He writes like a book a year. And you can tell when you read his books that he's gotten good at it, you know. But to your point, it's most people don't write a book a year. That's really hard. So. Yeah. It's like, because someone asked someone about like writing a book and they're like saying, oh, hey, it, it's still hard for me. Even though I've written two or three books already, like it's still hard. The fourth book is still hard to write because Probably. I've only done four, three, three. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is like, what has the benefits and like the negatives of writing a book? Like what are like, what has come from writing a book for you? And then also like, like what should people consider before doing this? I mean, the positives have been incredibly positive. I mean, it's been super emotionally fulfilling. It's a very cool thing to, when you work on a book, you write it once and then people benefit from it for years. So, you know, I still get emails, you know, multiple times a week of people being like, Hey, the book was super impactful to me. I've gotten some very heartfelt messages and it, and it's cool to like, I haven't written the book in a long time, you know? So it's cool that there's this sort of, you do this thing once and it has a long tail of impact. I think there's, there's not a ton of things that have that sort of, I don't know, time leverage maybe is the way to put it. And so just from a fulfillment perspective, it feels really good. It's given me a ton of opportunities. You know, I do a lot of startup investing and it's definitely made it where I see a lot more deals. People who are interested have read the book or heard about the book or interested in having me as an investor so it's opened up a lot of doors. I do a lot of speaking because of the book. So, I mean, it's been like a huge net positive. And so I definitely recommend the process to anyone. And then the cons are that, 
you know, you have to be prepared that it's, it can be very lonely. It's very, you know, high stress, you know, before you get your first hundred reviews, you're sort of like, is the book any good? You know, you sort of have a lot of imposter syndrome and question yourself a lot. So I think those are, those are very real. You don't have a, you know, you have a team, but it's not the same way in like a company or startup where, you know, the work is sort of super evenly distributed, like in a book, you know, you still are the primary person giving a thrust and that can be tiring at times. Luckily, you know, I have, and a lot of authors have a pretty strong community of writer friends who can provide sort of that emotional support that you don't have in a, you know, independent activities. I mean, that community, I think is like one of the biggest things I've heard, like from you is like having like the community of like feedback writers and the community of like people to like bounce ideas off of. Like yeah. if you don't have that, it's probably really hard to write a book. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. My last question would be like, what are most people like get wrong about like writing books? Most people think that either they have to write the whole book up front, which, you know, creates a lot of work that you didn't need to do because you can, you know, you can sell a book with just a proposal. And so, you know, it's sort of like the benefit of imagine if with a startup, you didn't have to actually build the whole product to sell it. That's sort of a cool upside of it. And, you know, the other thing I'd say is that I think people, you know, sort of write off traditional publishing kind of quickly because it feels sort of scary and opaque. And I think the thing is self-publishing can definitely work well, but you know, there's something I found with doing traditional publishing where, you know, you were able to get press much, much easier. There's sort of a credentialing that happens. And especially in a world where there's so many self-published books, having a traditionally published book sort of makes it even more sort of sticks out from the crowd even more. So I'd say that's, that's, that's something where traditional publishing, I think people are very quick to write it off these days because it feels a little anachronistic, but I think for most people who are first-time authors, if they can get a book deal, they should absolutely go for it. Awesome. And I want to give you time to say where people could find your book, your <laughs> newsletter, anything all, you want to drop. Yeah, it's all the same. It's just Alan, A-L-L-E-N dot X-Y-Z. And you can find links to the book, newsletter, all sorts of good stuff. So Cool. Yeah, I highly recommend everybody go read the book. You'll get, get a ton of knowledge. And creativity is not something, it's something that can be learned, which people just Amen. don't understand. Like, it's not something that just happens. It, you, it, it, you can actually practice and get better at this skill. So I recommend anybody getting this book. And thank you again for hopping on the show. This was awesome. Thanks, man. It was nice to be back on and uh, congrats again on getting engaged. Ah! Congrats on your new book coming out soon. <laughs> Hopefully we can get you on before that. Before yeah, exactly. That. It's literally coming out in 2023. So it's literally, that's why it's semi-secret because like, what's the point of promoting it? You know, it's too, it's so far out. So. Yeah, I mean, there's no point. I mean, it's like one of those stealth startups that you're just talking to everybody about. Yeah, that you're exactly. <laughs> All, All right. right. Talk to you later. See you